Thank you, Pastor Gary. Good morning. How many of you do not know about the parable of the lost son? The parable of the prodigal son. Anyone never heard that? All right, uh, I think we'll save a little time this morning and I won't read that story to you, but it's in Luke chapter 15. And uh, I'm really picking up the second part of that story. But before we start, I just want to ask God to help us in this. Father, we just thank you this morning that you love us. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us a fresh revelation of that love, even as we look at this parable of Jesus this morning. In your name, amen. You know, a very important part of Jesus' ministry when he was on the earth was to show us what his Father, Father God, is really like. And he said a number of things like, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, I, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And while this parable is about the lost son who spent prodigally and extravagantly, I believe it is also about the wonderful father who loved extravagantly. And Jesus was telling us in this parable what his father is like, what our father is like. So it's Father's Day. What a good time to revisit the parable with that in mind. So if we can pick that up in uh, verse 20 of uh, Luke chapter 15. Uh, you know the story, how he'd gone off, he'd demanded basically his, his share of the <clears throat> inheritance. I'm sorry about my voice, but I sang too well this morning. <clears throat> he'd, he'd gone off, he'd wasted his money. He had spent it all. There'd been a famine. He had become very, very hungry. Uh, He had even hired himself out to a farmer who had sent him off to feed the pigs. He couldn't even eat what the pigs were having because it wasn't suitable for him. Uh, And at some point he realized he needed to go home. He He was a fool to be where he was. Even his father's servants were better off than him. So, verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. We have to understand that this runs counter to what the people who were listening to Jesus would expect to happen. As so often uh, with Jesus' teaching, he... uh, He contradicted the beliefs and the teachings that the people lived by. And that's what was happening here because uh, the the theologian and scholar Jeremiah said, no Middle Eastern father would greet a rebellious son in this manner. See, there was too much pride, too much family honor at stake. More likely, uh, he would 
do something different. Because this son's broken all the rules. He demanded his inheritance early. And then he had squandered it all. He had brought disgrace to his father. He had brought disgrace to his family name. And the father may well have stood at the gate with his arms folded, waiting for his son to get closer so he could verbally tear a strip off him. More likely, he would have just turned his back on him and carried on with his work as if his son never existed. So many fathers did that. But this father is different. This father had never given up hope of seeing his son return. This father had never disowned his son despite what he had done. He was still his son. He missed him dearly because he loved him. So he always had one eye on the road, looking to see today he might come. And this day, he did. Like, can you imagine how his son looked at this point? It's a long time since his money ran out. His clothes will be filthy, torn. His hair a matted mess. His face and body are reflecting his hunger. You see, it wasn't just a missed breakfast or lunch. He's been in famine. He was hungry. He was so hungry because he couldn't buy food. His money had gone. He went trying to find a job. The best job he could get was feeding stinking pigs. Couldn't even eat their food. That was just so bad. He's been days, if not weeks, on the road. He doesn't have any soap or deodorant. He probably smelt a bit high. But his father saw him in the distance. Instantly recognized his son and had compassion on him because his father saw what a state he was in, even from that distance. And while he may have had tears of joy at seeing him again, there were also tears of sorrow for the wreck of humanity that he had become. And he ran to him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I want to tell you guys, this was no staunch one-armed man hug. <laughs> this was no tentative peck on the cheek. Mwah. He threw his arms around him and he covered him in kisses. Too bad about protocol. Too bad if others were watching, looking down their elongated noses, making their personal judgments against him, saying he was a fool in their estimation. Father embraced him, loved him as he was, dirty, stinking, ragged, repulsive to others, but loved by Father. And you know, the poor guy, he didn't get far into his prepared speech of repentance, fully aware he could not expect to return to his home and to his place as a son, but hoping 
that his father would at least hire him so he could earn enough money to have a roof over his head and food on his table. But his father hushed him. Didn't even let him finish, but started calling his servants to bring clothes, bring a robe for him, bring the best robe for him. It's my son. Bring shoes for his feet, bring sandals. Look at what he's got on. Bring a ring for his finger. These are all symbols of his reinstatement yeah. as a son, something he knew he didn't deserve. Go and fill the... Kill, Gary's disease. Go and kill the fatted calf. Not fill the catted calf. Go and kill the fatted calf. The fattened calf. <laughs> We're going to celebrate. Our son is home. And in this story, the younger son was open about his rebellion. But you know what? The older son who's in this story was lost as well. Only he didn't realize it. The older son didn't want anything to do with the celebration. He didn't want anything to do when he heard that his brother had come home, his little brother had come home. Because he knew what he'd been up to. And he'd had to stay and do all the work. But the older son was lost and didn't realize that he had left home too in his heart. See, he resented what he thought were his father's intentions for him though he'd obviously never discussed them with his father. He just assumed. We often assume, don't we? So he didn't want to come to the celebration for his brother. But he'd forgotten what his father had provided for him. And when his father tried to get him to join in the celebrations, he said, nope, not happening. I've stayed here all this time and I've worked my guts out for you. And this son of yours, see, not my brother, this son of yours, talking to his dad, has squandered your money, he's frequented brothels, he has debauched himself in every way and you welcome him home like a hero. I'm the one who should be getting the party. He's talking to the father who loves him unconditionally. But he's believed the lies in his own head about his father. And he refused to join in the celebration. And you know, we have to be careful that the older brother syndrome doesn't ever become our culture in the church. No prostitutes in here, thanks. No gays, alcoholics, adulterers. We don't want you stealing our husbands, polluting our children's minds, ogling our wives. Go and clean up your act, then you can come back. Well, Jesus addressed that attitude with the Pharisees when he told them it's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. People can't clean up their act before they come to Jesus. They need his love. They need his power in their lives before they can come to Jesus. When they come to Jesus, he will help them. He welcomes us as we are with the pig slop still sticking to our clothes and the stench of sin preceding us like a, a visible cloud. Yeah. That's how he loves us. Yeah. Yeah. He loves us and he delights in us when we return to him. Man, I am glad that over the years in the churches I've, I've been a part of, 
We've had all those kinds of people and more. And you know what? None of them could clean up their acts before they came to him. They came to Jesus in the stinking state that they were in, just as every one of us had to do. Because some of us were like that older brother. We didn't run off with the family treasure, did we? No. No, we were, we were good. We didn't get involved in immorality or drugs. We didn't do anything wicked like that. Hmm. But we still had wicked hearts. Yeah. And we had wicked thoughts. And we had wicked desires. And yet we despised others for their sin. And there was no compassion in our hearts for the lost. The truth is that God didn't have to save some of us out of immorality and drug abuse. He didn't have to save us out of violence and crime. He saved us from those things. He saved us from having to wear the scars of a debauched life. And to me, that is just as great a miracle as being saved out of those things. We need to understand that. That's God's grace. That's, that's his love. That's the Father's love. That's what gives him joy every time he thinks about us. You know what? We underestimate God's appreciation of us. We underestimate his fondness of us. Can you believe that God is fond of you? Not only that, he likes you. He even likes me. He loves us. I think we forget the very reason that he created us in the first place. Is things still working? He created us to share his love. How many of us, while calling God our Father, still picture him as the caricature figure of so many cartoons? Rickety, ancient-looking, beard down to the ground, a look of thunder on his face, his hand outstretched over the top of us, his bony forefinger and thumb ready to squish us the moment we do something wrong. Well, it's time to stop seeing him as a cartoon figure. It's time to read what God tells us about the Father in his word. You know, yes, he is... He is um, from eternity past to eternity future. He is from everlasting to everlasting. But he's ageless. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. Some Christians won't read parts of the Old Testament. Some won't even read the Old Testament at all because they don't like the God of the Old Testament. But you know what? Somebody in the Old Testament who wrote quite a lot in the Old Testament about the God of the Old Testament because he had relationship with the God of the Old Testament who is the same yesterday, today, and forever was King David. And read what he wrote. Read some of his Psalms. He is forever telling us in the Psalms about God's great goodness about his unfailing love, yeah. 
about his compassion for those who are suffering injustice, about his compassion for the homeless and for the, for the fatherless and for the widows. And then, of course, there's his Psalm 23. Who loves Psalm 23? You know, even people who don't know God love Psalm 23 because there's something about it. It's a picture of Father. David tells us about God, a God of provision and rest and restoration, of guidance, of protection and generosity and healing and shelter. And in verse 6 he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He knew who the Father was. He knew who God was. And he told us, as Christians... We're aware of the fruit of the Spirit, a fruit that should be developing in all of us as we grow in our experience. And joy is one of those. I like joy. <laughs> I've spoken here before about joy. But joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and if it's the fruit of the Spirit, then it has to be an aspect of who God is because it's his spirit that it's a fruit of. So God is not only a God of justice and a God of judgment, but he's also a God of joy. God, the joyful father. How many cartoons do you see depicting that? When we think about the joy of the Lord, how many people love the joy of the Lord? Now, when we think about that, we usually think of that as our experience. It's something the Lord has given us his joy. And that's true. That's an aspect of it. But today I want to take that a step further, and I want you to understand something. Whose joy was it when the son returned? It was the father's joy in the son. The son gave the father joy. Even in the wretched state he was, the father got joy from seeing his son. That was the father's joy. Yes, the son experienced that joy. The son benefited from that joy. The son experienced for himself and had joy himself because he saw his father's joy in him. We see this again. In Zephaniah, this is Old Testament, okay? This is the God of the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And we see here again that we are the object of his rejoicing. Do you get that? We are the object of his rejoicing. He delights in us. He joys in us. So when we yell and holler because things aren't going right, when we shout at God because life's unfair, or even when we go looking for him because of our fears for the future, what does he do? He wraps his arms around us. He's that father. And he holds us. And he quiets us with his love. He sings his love song to us. He rejoices over us with singing. 
What does that mean? A song for each of us with our name in it. So many times we've heard people saying, now don't take this personally, and they go on to say something. But I want to say this morning, take this personally. Understand that the God of heaven loves you personally and individually. He created you uniquely you because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. He knows who you are, what's and all. He loves you. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's his joy. It's his joy in us. You know what? Because I know that he joys in me. Wow, that encourages me. That gives me strength. That gives me courage. That gives me joy. The joy of the Lord in me. His joy because of me encourages me and gives me strength. Why? Because I know he's got my back. I know that the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, loves me. I know that he cares about me. He calls me his child. I know that he's always with me. And that gives me strength. And that gives me joy. Some of us were blessed with good fathers. And on Father's Day, we really can be grateful for them and celebrate. But many children and many who are adults now were not so fortunate and their fathers were cruel. Some of them were inconsistent. Some weren't even there. They were absent. Some of them were cold-hearted. Some of them were abusive. And I'll tell you what, for those people, there is nothing to celebrate on Father's Day except perhaps that they survived. So their concept of God as Father needs to be radically transformed and that can only happen by a revelation of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way they will ever know who God is as Father. But even those of us who are blessed with good fathers, you know what we do? We project our image of fatherhood onto Father God. In other words, we are really we are creating God in our Father's image. And that does God such an injustice and disservice. Because even the best of our fathers could not compare in any way with who God is. Our Father is. I'm sure you've noticed that in many families, one child seems much easier to love than others. I don't know. It's their personality, their nature, their sense of humor, their unquenchable optimism, whatever it is. But other kids in the family, not quite so much. You know? And when it comes to us, seeing God as our Father, so many of us put ourselves in the shoes of the least lovable child because we just know we don't deserve his love. Even though we know that his unconditional love is not given on the basis of deserving because we know 
that none of us deserves his love. But that's the point. He loves us for who we are. Not what we look like. Thank goodness. It's not because we're perfectly groomed and we've got straight teeth and we smell nice. He loves us whether we got straight A's in college or left after the first term. Or for some of us who didn't even get there. He loves us when we succeed and he loves us when we disappoint him. He can't help himself. He loves us. He made us for fellowship with him. That's why he made us uniquely. He doesn't want 26 Pastor Garys. <laughs> he doesn't even want two of any of us. He loves us uniquely and individually, and he wants that kind of relationship. That's why he created us in the first place. Now, our sin separated us from him for a time, but through the amazing sacrifice of Jesus dying on that cross and being resurrected to life again. He opened that way again. He made the way for us to have that relationship with him again that none of us deserve. And he loved us while we ignored him. And he loved us while we made our way back from the pig sty. And he still loves us even if foolishly we revisit the pigsty. But here's the crunch. Our enemy, the devil, lies to us regularly. He'll tell you, and, I, and take this personally, right? he will tell you that God can't possibly love you after the way you've behaved, after all the things that you have done. He can't love you after what you said this morning on the way to church. He can't love you after what you were even thinking last night. That's what he'll tell you. He'll say it's because you're a nobody that God doesn't answer your prayers. And if you did get one answered, well, it was probably an administrative oversight on the part of somebody in heaven. <laughs> Shouldn't have happened. You know, some Christians have served God for years. They've honored him as the Lord of their lives. Yes, they've even worshipped him, but they have never known an intimate relationship with Father. Jesus they can cope with, but not the Father, for any one of a thousand reasons. It could be they have a problem with the Father image, it could be that they just know that they don't deserve it. Who knows? Everyone's different. So many reasons. Well, you've heard the saying, give him an inch and he'll take a mile. Well, that applies to Satan. You give him a moment of listening to his lies, of beginning to believe them, he'll be back every five minutes with more. And every time you listen to him and begin to believe it, it's another brick in the wall. Another brick in the wall. And he is building a fortress of lies in your mind. He's building a stronghold. In fact, actually, I think he's building an embassy. He's building an embassy in your sovereign territory. Yeah. 
with your permission. You know how countries build embassies in foreign lands with their agreement, and that embassy becomes an extension of their own country, basically. And, and the ambassadors and diplomats, they have easy access into and out of that land. Well, today, I believe that many Christians have magnificent, multi-storied embassies of hell in their minds because they have listened to so many lies of the enemy. They're given the devil and his helpers permission and access by choosing to believe his lies instead of believing what God says in his word about who God is, about who they are, about their relationship with God. The devil pops in and out at will, dropping a whole heap more lies as he goes. They gave him an inch, and he took the whole flame and territory. And this morning, if that's you, and you'll know, even if it's not yet a multi-storied embassy, it might just be a one-roomed embassy. But if you've got an embassy of Satan in your mind because you've believed the lies, you need to understand something. You have the power to close it down. You can withdraw your permission for Satan to occupy. You can demolish the embassy. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Those are lies. Anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God is a lie. We demolish those things. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now most of us have been taught about the spiritual weapons. We know about the name of Jesus, the word of God, the blood of Jesus, prayer, praise, the word of our testimony, and so on. But I believe that so often... As Christians, we overlook one of the most powerful things that God has given us as a weapon against the enemy. And that is our free will. Our free will to choose to believe the truth. And you need to decide this morning whether you're going to keep believing lies or whether you're going to believe the truth. Now listen, if you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, listen. Have I got your attention? sure God won't make you believe the truth and just as importantly Satan can't make you believe lies that's what free will is about choice you choose to believe the lies or you choose to believe God's word God's word is truth. And when you choose to believe the truth, the lies collapse. The stronghold falls. The embassy is demolished. The lies no longer have control over your life. Because just as light dispels darkness, truth dispels lies. They can't exist together. I love the worship songs that we've been singing that declare who God is and who we are in him. Who the sun sets free, 
Oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's who I am. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. That's what God's word says. I am who you say I am. Oh, I am who you say I am. Oh, I am who you say I am. It's in here. It's God's word. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. You're a good, good father. Comes out of here. That's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. That's what defines me. I'm loved by the Father. God's word tells us over and over and over again that he loves us. Not just us in the generic sense, not just us in that corporate sense. God so loved the world. Yes, we can all believe that he loves the world. But this morning we have to believe that he loves us. Like the father in the story. That he loves us, wraps his arms around us, covers us in kisses, sings his love song over us, loves being in relationship with us, loves us unconditionally. He's never disowned us. He values us. He rejoices over us, often without any reason, just because. Because he loves us and he can't help it. And we're the least lovable. But he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? Today, you can demolish Satan's embassy. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Believe Jesus. Know the truth. Step into freedom. Can we stand? Father, I pray that you open our minds, open our hearts, open our spirits to your spirit right now. And just while we're in this attitude of prayer with our eyes closed and our hearts open to the Father, I sense that there are some here today for whom Father has not been a good word. But Father wants you to experience his love. He wants you to know today that he loves you more than anything. And if you've not had that kind of relationship with Father, or even if you've had a relationship with him, but you know that you, you, you need a fresh revelation of who he is, just... Give me an indication with your hand and I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, 
You see these hands. You see these hearts. Lord, I pray that you come right now by your Holy Spirit, that you wrap your arms around every one of these people before you. Father, that you pour your grace and your love into their spirit. Father, let them sense your love pouring into them. Let them have that knowledge of your presence in their life that they've not experienced in any way in the past. Let them know the security of you as their father. You've got their backs. You're the God of heaven. You're the creator of the universe and you love them. Father, I pray that every one of us will go from here today with a fresh understanding of who you are. And Lord, that throughout the day, you keep showing us through things that happen, through conversations, through reading your word, through just you putting things in our minds that you love us. And tonight as we go to bed, fill our minds, fill our dreams, fill our beings with your presence, I pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.